here's where we're at. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning uh, in verse 12 to the end. And understanding context is always key to understanding the meaning in the Bible. You know that. If you don't know the context, you haven't grasped the full meaning. But it's especially true in 1 Corinthians. I said this back in our introductory sermon, uh, that we need to understand what Paul is saying to the Corinthians in order to have right connections to our lives. And in the early chapters of the letter, Paul is responding to the problems in the church that have been reported to him. So he's talking about these different topics because they've been reported to him. Have We have a problem with this. So in chapter 1, verse 11, it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you. And so Paul addresses division in the church. Then in chapter 5, the phrase, it's actually been reported, refers to three newsworthy items that Paul has to address. In verse 1, they're, they're tolerating an incestuous man in the church. So Paul addresses church discipline in the manner of excommunicating that man so that they would be the new lump, remember? They want to be the unleavened lump of dough with the leaven, the sin, removed. In chapter 6, verse 1, they're defrauding one another. It's been reported that they're defrauding one another and suing each other in the civil courts. And so Paul addresses church discipline in the matter of repenting of all unrighteousness so that they would indeed inherit the kingdom of God, which they ought as believers in Christ. And in our passage this morning, verses 12 to 20, the Corinthians are defending their right as Christians to engage in sex with prostitutes. If that's not clear at the beginning of the passage as we begin reading it, it is by the time we get to verse 16. So in order to understand what Paul is saying and why he is saying it, we need to understand that it has been reported to him that there are men who are members of the church who are arguing that their sexual relationships with prostitutes is not sin. That's the context. Now that sounds outrageous to us. Who here would stand up and make that theological argument? We would all, I hope, Stand with the Apostle Paul and argue that sexual relations with the prostitute is sin. So why not the short version of the sermon? Because the right application of Paul's argument to the Corinthians applied to us is that any participation by any of us, male or female, in any sexual immorality is a sin. It's a sin we're to flee from so that we would live lives to glorify God with our bodies. So Paul is addressing the behavior of us as individuals now, not as the church, but as individuals. And he's going back and forth. When we read this, you'll immediately get this. Paul's going back and forth with slogans that the Corinthians are using in their argument. They're found in quotation marks. And then he follows them with his argument, his correction. So let's pick up and read these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. This is the word of God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know 
that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If you want to follow along, there's a sermon outline uh, in the bulletin that I think will, will help you track along. And you'll see that the theme of the sermon is that your body matters because you're united with Christ. So glorify God with your body by not having immoral sex. When we think of good reasons to flee sexual immorality, we would probably go to the law. I think that's where most of us would go. We would go to the commandments that say, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet thy neighbor's wife. And those things are right. Those are the moral law in the Old Testament. They're still incumbent upon us now, and they're right. And it's a reason not to commit sexual immorality. But that's not where Paul goes, is it? Because the Corinthians are not arguing with that. The Corinthians would say, yes, yes, and Jesus died for our sins. He died to set us free. He died to save our souls. All things that Paul has taught them. But they have completely misapplied those things in two particular ways. The first is our biblical view of Christian liberty. You see, the Corinthians are thinking, I'm free to do all things now. Now because I'm, Christ has set me free, I'm free to do all things. This is a complete misapplication of the gospel in Paul's teaching. But you can see how it appeals to the Corinthians. Because they want to go on doing what their unsaved neighbors do. They're very engaged in doing things in culture and not standing out. And so Paul corrects them by saying, you are not free to sin. The second way is, is in our biblical view of the body, our, our physical bodies. The Corinthians are thinking that salvation has only to do with the soul, but not at all with the body. They say, Christ has saved my soul, and it doesn't matter what I do with my body. And this, is, this thought is common in pagan religions. That the soul is what matters, but the body never matters. And the Corinthians have again brought pagan beliefs, common in their culture, inside the church. They're bringing leaven into the new lump, if you would, if you remember chapter 5. And so Paul corrects them by saying, Christ saved all of you, body and soul. So of course it matters what you do with your body. So Paul is dealing with sexual immorality. He says, don't do it. But he's also dealing with Christian liberty. You are not at liberty to go on sinning, Corinthians. And he's also dealing with our biblical understanding of the body. We are to glorify God with body and soul, with our whole selves. 
you know, it strikes me that we don't, I don't think we have much of a theological view of our physical bodies. It's a blind spot that leads us open to committing sins at our, towards their, and against our own bodies. That's what Paul says the Corinthians are doing. And he's offering us a theological understanding of the body and understanding that he believes should convince us to flee from sexual immorality, so it seems kind of important that we understand it. It seems very practical and useful. Just to take an idea today, people struggle with how they think about their bodies today. Did you know that? Some people love their bodies. They love their bodies a lot. And they build up their bodies and they paint them and they pierce them and they showcase them. Some people hate their bodies. They starve them. They hide them. They harm them. Some people want to change their bodies completely, which can't actually be done, which shows how farcical it is. They say that if you're a man but you think you're in, but if you're in a man's body but you think you're a woman, you can change your body to a woman's body. And our greatest psychologists will affirm your bodily choice. And our greatest medical doctors will conduct procedures to make it so, although they don't actually make it so. And our wisest politicians will legislate your body choice as a protected class. And our wisest educators will teach our youngest children to get on the fast track without their parents ever knowing. That's what we find in people's understanding of their bodies today. Do you see the insanity that ensues when we don't have a biblical view of something as basic as our bodies? The body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. If I were to ask you to point to the thing that shows that you are part of God's creation, what would you point to? Your body. Here I am, part of God's creation. I am God's creation, and God is redeeming and restoring all of his creation, which includes your body, through Christ's bodily sacrifice and Christ's bodily resurrection. To address sexual immorality in our lives, Paul goes to a right understanding of Christian liberty, what we're free to do and what we're not free to do, and a right theology of our bodies, that they belong to God, and the reality of the indwelling Holy Spirit... And, of course, the gospel. We read all those things in these verses we just looked at this morning. So let's go back to verse 12 and begin there. Paul says, or writes, all things are lawful for me. And that is one of the Corinthians' slogans. So this is something they're walking around saying, and it's a moral claim. I have the right to do anything. Specifically, the Corinthians are saying that it is not a sin for believers to engage in sex with prostitutes, which was common and acceptable and even expected behavior among men in Corinthian culture. Not completely unlike our culture. So the issue here is Christian liberty. What are Christians free to do? Are Christians free in Christ To do absolutely anything? Well, Paul says, in a very understated way, no. Why? 
Because not everything's helpful. Not everything's helpful. That word translated helpful means not everything builds up. Not everything builds up. Even the things that actually are permissible may not be beneficial. Not all things are profitable for me. In fact, they may be harmful. Sexual immorality is not permissible. Go back to, go back to verse 9. We looked at this last week. Do you not know that the unrighteous, the sexually immoral, the adulterers, the men who practice homosexuality will not enter the kingdom of God? See, sexual immorality is not helpful because those who practice it will not enter the kingdom of God. Sexual immorality is not helpful because it does not help others. It damages others. It damages the prostitute. It damages your mistress. It damages your wife and your children and any children that may come from your sexually immoral acts. While that child is precious, her life is vulnerable, and his future is uncertain, and his family is unstable. Now remember, when Paul talks in this way, sins are forgiven by the grace of God through faith in Christ, right? But those who would persist in unrepentant unrighteousness, they're at risk because they're living like unbelievers, and so they might be unbelievers. What the Corinthians call a right to sex, Paul calls sexual sin. What they call lawful, Paul calls unrighteous. Christian liberty does not include the liberty to go on sinning. That's the first thing and the first slogan that Paul attacks. But those things also must not dominate me. So they say again, he says it a second time, all things are lawful for me. This is their slogan that they use to make your argument. And Paul counters saying, not only is sexual sin harmful to others, but it's powerful to master you. There's, there's a really clever, like attention-getting wordplay here in the ancient Greek. But we don't have the ancient Greek, do we? So we kind of miss this, this clever wordplay, and, and commentators try to explain it. Uh, the flavor, if you would, the sound, the literary artistry of, of Paul's words might go something like this. I have the liberty to do anything, but I will not let anything take liberty with me. It's kind of like that. You hear the clever turn of phrase in there. The underlying import of what he's saying is actually stronger. You see, you're saying you have power over those things, but you are vulnerable to come under the power of those things. That's the warning that Paul's issuing. Because that's how sexual sin works, isn't it? You think you are taking advantage. You think that you are in control, only to find that it is in control, and you have lost your advantage, and that it tears down righteousness, and it builds up sin in your life. So Paul corrects them saying that sexual immorality you inflict upon others, it's not helpful for them. It's a sin against them, and it's a powerful sin that will captivate you. Paul, takes, Paul then takes another of their favorite slogans used to justify sexual immorality in verse 13. And, and I need to do a wee bit of explaining here in verse 13. So you see the quotation mark if you're looking at the ESV. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food and, and that quotation mark, I believe, should extend. It should go, it should include, and God will destroy both one and the other. Now, the ESV didn't think so, uh, but most commentators do. 
that that whole thing is the quote. And the reason is because it provides the mirror image of Paul's response to that slogan. So, on the surface, let me pick up in verse 13 and read through verse 14. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So on the surface, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food is one way of saying, when I'm hungry, I eat. It's the way the body works. But of course, we're not talking about food, are we? The slogan is being used as a euphemism. They're talking about sex, but using this, this euphemism. Have, have, you guys seen these, have you seen these commercials about buying homeowner's insurance? Which is like, you know, not a very exciting thing to do. And so the, this homeowner's insurance company says, you know, here's what happens when young people who are like really exciting and you know, vibrant and stuff like that, buy a home, they become like their parents. They become these old fuddy-duddies. And uh, so, so they provide a coach to these people to help them. And this coach is trying to help them with texting because boomers don't know how to text. And now the, these poor Xers, they don't know how to text because they bought a home. And so um, the, the coach is telling this one person uh, when, when she's texting, she says, now, just because it's a fruit emoji doesn't mean they're talking about fruit. They're not talking about food. He's still talking about sex. It's a euphemism. Hey, the body was made to have sex, and sex was made to be had by the body. And unbridled, unregulated sex is not a sin because God is doing away with both. He's going to do away with sex, and he's going to do away with our bodies. That's their argument, but they couldn't be more wrong. They couldn't be more wrong. The idea that the soul matters but the body is disposable is a pagan idea. That idea being that the body is just a shell that transports the soul, and the shell is later destroyed. So whatever sins are done in the body don't matter because it's your soul that's been saved. This is another way in which the Corinthians bent to adopt cultural ideas and practices into the church that has bent their understanding of the body and of the gospel. And so Paul bends it back with a right understanding of our bodies and the gospel. You see, when we move the quotation marks to include the destruction wording, his response mirrors the Corinthians' slogan. He says the body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now, Paul is not talking about the flesh. That would be the Greek word sarks. Paul uses the Greek word soma, which means the whole person. The body, the whole person. Your body matters. You are the whole person who walks and talks you are the whole person who is seen and heard as part of God's creation. You are the body and soul whom Christ has redeemed, whom the Spirit indwells, and whom God will restore completely. These aren't meant to be separated the way the Corinthians are trying to separate them. Your body will not be destroyed. 
God raised the Lord, and He will also raise us up by His power, Paul says. Hallelujah! We believe in the resurrection of the body and in the life everlasting. That's not just true. That's reason for rejoicing, Christians. The Corinthians have lost sight of this. And verse 15 lays the groundwork for chapter 15 to come, the resurrection chapter, where Paul argues in the full doctrine of the bodily resurrection. In Christ, you are for the Lord, and the Lord is for you. And then Paul unpacks this a little further with three questions, which all begin with the phrase, do you not know? Do you not know? In verses 15 to 20. There are three of them, and they all begin with the same phrase. Do you not know your bodies are members of Christ's body? Look at verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a prostitute? Never. The bodies of believers are limbs and organs of Christ. Salvation is not merely a matter of the soul, but of the body also. You are in Christ, body and soul. Should you then take the limbs and organs of Christ away and make them the limbs and organs of a prostitute? You're to be a little bit offended. The obvious answer is no. The Corinthians know they are spiritually united with Christ. What they didn't know, what you may not know, is that you are physically united with Christ. Should I, who am physically united with Christ, physically unite myself with a prostitute? Never. It's unthinkable. That's what he's saying. And you're scratching your heads and saying, well, wait a minute, how does that work? Well, I'm not 100% sure, except that we're being told that our spiritual relationship with Christ is not only with our spirit, but with our body as well. Do you not know that union with Christ excludes immoral sexual union? Pick up in verse 16. Here's the, here's the second question. Or do you not know that he is, who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now in these verses is another slogan that the Corinthians were saying in verse 18. Now the ESV acknowledges in a footnote that the word other is not actually present in the original text. And most commentators agree, and I think quotation marks should be, around this as a slogan. Every sin a person commits is outside the body. That's, that's their slogan that Paul's responding to. Now, why would they say that? Because this is their definition. Not Paul's definition, but their definition of sin. They say that sin is only sin if you commit it with your soul, which is inside the body. Remember, they think the soul's saved. But sin that's done with the body is not sin, because that sin's done with the body, outside of the body. So they would argue, what you do with your body is not sinful. 
Sin has only to do with your soul, which is saved. So what you do with your body doesn't matter. That's what they're arguing. Now they're wrong, but that's what they think. They have held on to their culture's pagan view of the body and corrupted their own understanding of sin and salvation. I mean, for Pete's sake, in chapter 5, just before this, they were tolerating an incestuous man in their congregation. They couldn't even tell what was sexual immorality or not. Now, I don't know if any Christians today would talk that way. But I've known a few who act that way. Particularly when it comes to sexual sin. You probably do too. Because the word for sexual sin that Paul uses here is porneia. It's where we get our word pornography. And it's a very broad term that refers to all sexual sin. It's not limited to men in ancient Corinth who engaged prostitutes. And of course, Paul's outraged. Paul's outraged at their bad theology because all sin is committed in the body. Which is why he reacts the way he does. Don't you know that a person who sins sexually sins against his own body? Your body does matter. And you're sinning against your own body. And the reason is because through sexual intercourse we enter into a union with that other person. And Paul goes to Genesis. You recognize that word. Paul goes to Genesis to God's institution of marriage to explain why this is so. He says, for it is written. The two will become one flesh. Marriage is a manifestation of the one flesh relationship ordained by God between one man and one woman. Sexuality is the physical demonstration of that honorable union. Sexuality is the physical demonstration of that honorable union, but any demonstration of sexuality outside of that is a violation of how God intended it to be. It's the making of a union that's sinful. It's sexual immorality. And the the law of love creeps into Paul's argument here. Because while sexuality in marriage does not contradict the union with Christ, all other sexuality does. Sexual immorality attacks the Christian's union with Christ. Paul is saying that your union with Christ and your union with a prostitute are mutually exclusive. You can't have both in the same place at the same time. You can't have that. And since as Christians you're united with Christ, body and soul, live in that union and flee from sexual immorality. Paul is again saying, as he had throughout this chapter, throughout the prior chapters, become who you are. You're united with Christ. Become who you are. You're united with Christ, so live like it. Which means flee sexual immorality. There's another question beginning in verse 19. Do you not know? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You know, earlier, back in chapter 3, Paul said that the church, the collective body, right? The church is God's temple and the Holy Spirit dwells within the church. But here he's speaking to the individual Christian. And he says, 
to the individual Christian that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. God made you a temple. God placed the image of himself in the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now, the Corinthians know about temples, right? The Corinthians know about temples. They're surrounded by them. They're all over the city of Corinth. And inside each stone temple is a little stone image of the God of that temple. Where was the stone temple? To the Christian God in Corinth. Where did you go? You had your little, you had your little trace, the, trace the temple map in the city of Corinth when you go vacation there. And, and you see all the stone temples. Where's the Christian stone temple? Well, there wasn't one. There wasn't one. Instead, Paul says, each of you, your body is a temple of God. And God placed his image, his Holy Spirit, inside of you. That's how important your body is. That's how God views your body. So everything you do with your body You do as a temple of God in whom dwells the Holy Spirit of God. Where you take your body, what you do with your body. No wonder Paul says, you're not your own. Your body is God's temple and your body is indwelled by God's Spirit. You are not your own. Whatever you do with your body, you are doing with the Holy Spirit. Now, why is it this way? How is this so? Well, you are not your own because you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. Paul has addressed all of the problems in the Corinthian church thus far with the gospel, and he does it again right here. You were bought, body and soul, with a price. And that price was the precious blood of Christ and the body of Christ. The problem with the Corinthians and the mistake many Christians make today is that they were, they were brought out of sin, they think they're brought out of sin and set free to do whatever they want. I've been freed. I can do whatever I want. But that's not how the purchase price works. Our redemption from sin with a purchase price, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, represents a change in ownership. That's how a purchase price works. It's a change in ownership. We were once mastered by sin, death, and the devil. By the grace of God, through faith in Christ our Savior, we have a new master. We have a new master. And to commit sexual immorality is not only to attack your own body, to commit sexual immorality is not only to attack Christ, to commit sexual immorality is not only to attack the Holy Spirit, to commit sexual immorality is to attack the very heart of the gospel itself and Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So Paul says, glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Here's the main point of the passage. Boy, there's a lot in here. Here's the main point in the passage. Your body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for your body. So flee sexual immorality. That's the main point of the passage. Well, how do I flee sexual immorality? 
run. Run. Run away as fast as you can in the other direction. That's the biblical answer. Here's God's advice to you. If you're in the wrong company, get away from those people now. If you're in the wrong place, get out of that place now. You don't need to ponder these things. <laughs> Just run. Do it. Flee. If there are things on your screen that you should not see, turn off the screen now. You actually don't need a screen to live. You can actually live without a screen. But you do need to flee sexual immorality. Remember Joseph? Remember Joseph in Egypt in Potiphar's household? He had, he had power over everything. Everything in Potiphar's house, he had power over, except for Potiphar's wife. And she came to Joseph every day, day after day, ordering him as the, as the woman, woman of the house to have sex with her. And Joseph tried to not be in the wrong place. And Joseph tried to not be with the wrong person. And still there came a day when, when they were alone. And she grabbed his garment. What did he do? He ran away. He fled. He ran away leaving his garment in her hands. Flee sexual immorality. Do you remember what Joseph said? See, I think Joseph understood his Christian liberty, and I think Joseph understood a theology of his body, because Joseph said, how can I do this great sin against God? Flee sexual immorality. It's not something to think about or reason about or rationalize. Just flee. I want to say a couple of things about these two ideas. Christian liberty and our union with Christ. Because Paul uses them here to tell us to flee from sexual immorality, so that matters. But he's not done with them yet. These things are going to come up again. Later in his letter, he's going to come back to them in greater detail. But here's the, here's the initial pinning down of them. So it's important for us to understand them. About Christian liberty. You know, what, what is it that we are free to do? All things are lawful for us. But only according to the law of love. You are free under Christ's law of love. We are to do things with our bodies that build up others. We are to do things with our bodies that profit us in righteousness. We are to do all things in love because love rules over liberty. Love governs liberty. In other words, if I am going to love someone, then it would be sinful for me to be self-indulgent or abusive and seek only to get my own way. Sexual immorality has nothing to do with love. And so it does not exist within your Christian liberty. 
in addressing sexual immorality, we need a biblical view of our Christian liberty and not to violate the law of love and in order to not become slaves to sin again. That's what the Corinthians were doing. They were, they were turning right around and going back to becoming slaves of sin. Second, about our union with Christ. You need to understand that your body is for the Lord. Your own body is not for you. It is for the Lord. That is a biblical truth that is outrageously out of line in Corinth and in our culture today. You can't get anybody to believe that unless they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They reject it out of hand. Our culture is designed, architected, built, energized by the fact that you are you and you can do anything you want to with your body. And and it's all built upon a lie. Your body is for the Lord. Many Christians just don't believe it, even when they read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, 13. They just won't believe it. That's why the long view of the sermon this morning. Your body is for the Lord, but don't forget this. The Lord is for your body. Jesus died to save your soul and your body. Jesus considers our bodies to be limbs and organs of his own body. And he will not neglect to raise your body in the power of his resurrection on the last day. It's that important that he'll remember to do that. Now here's the main application of the passage, and I'll end with this. Now that you know you, body and soul, are owned by God, now that you know that your liberty, body and soul, is governed by God's love, live so as to glorify God in your body. We don't usually think that way. I don't hear people pray that way. We usually think in terms of glorifying God in our, in our hearts and in our souls. And that's right because that's how we normally think. That we're spiritually united with Christ. And we are spiritually united with Christ. That part hasn't changed. But I think it's new for us to think that our spiritual union with Christ is not only with our souls, but with our bodies. And there are benefits to thinking this way. Chiefly, so that we would not fool our minds into thinking that the sins we commit with our bodies don't matter as long as we love God with our hearts. Because brothers and sisters, that's where we sin. Oh, I love God. So I kind of feel bad when I sin with my body. But I don't try that hard to stop it. And when we do that, we thereby deceive ourselves that we are more righteous than we are. And like the Corinthians, we profess Christ in our hearts while attacking Christ with our own bodies. 
That's the takeaway. Live to glorify God with your body. Here's the sermon theme. Your body matters because you're united in Christ. So glorify God with your body and do not have immoral sex. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in so many ways, because of what the Corinthians were thinking, Paul's response seems less than direct to us. Sexual immorality is just wrong, and we know that in our hearts, and we desire to practice that in our bodies, and, and yet Paul has helped us out tremendously, and so we, we ask that you'd give us understanding, that you'd help us to understand these things that Paul has said. We're not free to go on sinning. We're just not, because we've been united to Christ. And it is sin when we sin with our bodies, even though we love you with our hearts. And so, Lord, we want to serve you well. We want to glorify you with our bodies. And we thank you that you are gracious to sinners to forgive. That the sacrifice of Christ's body and blood cleanses us from all of our sin. And so, Lord, help us to repent that we might live for you and be your people. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.